morning, Jacobsville. That was all right. Good morning, Jacobsville. Mm, there we go. There we go. Hey, summer's almost over, which is my favorite time of the year because that means fall's coming. Fall's about to be out here. And I'm a pumpkin spice guy. Yes, I'm very basic, very regular, but I love me some cinnamon, nutmeg, or whatever they put in pumpkin spice. Whatever's in there, I love it. But it ain't over yet because we have a so-called heat wave next week. And I say so-called because I'm from Texas. I'm just being, I'm just being honest. Let's go. Te the student section is in the house, man. Let's get it, baby. We in the building. Y'all Cowboys fans? Dang. It's all right. It's, that was a downer. That was, a, that was a true downer. I was excited for a minute. Um, but, you know, it's funny. I was talking to my mom a couple weeks ago. And it was 99 degrees. And my mom said, when I went outside, I felt cooler. She literally said, I feel, it felt like it was cooler than 110 degrees. And I was like, dang, y'all struggling. Like struggling, struggling. So just remember that next week when y'all say y'all hot. You know, in, in other places in the world, they hot, hot. Like hot, hot. Yo, so this is the last week of the Psalms. We have spent the entire summer in the Psalms, and we're going to be covering our last Psalm before we get into Vision Sunday next week. And I have come to really appreciate Psalm 63, because as we're going to learn this morning, this Psalm sounds a little bit like a lament. It definitely is a prayer for help. But what I love about Psalm 63 is that David is actually praying a prayer of expectation. Because I believe in who God is, I'm going to project my future by connecting it with the promises that he has made me. So this is a little different, right? As we cry out for help, there is reason for us as Christians as we're crying out, to also pray in expectation that, God, you will come through for me. God, you will deliver me because you are my God, the most powerful being in the universe, right? And that brings us to verse 1. Before, before we get into it, let's, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word, and for the gift of your church. God, this morning as we dive into the word, I pray that you just offer us revelation, offer us clarity on how we are called to live our lives as your children. Be with us, Lord, as we dive into your word. In Jesus' name I do pray, amen. Oh God, you are my God. Let me set the scene real quick. So David, currently, when he's writing this song, is on the run from King Saul. Some of you may remember from a couple of weeks ago in Psalm 142, King Saul is very jealous of David because God has basically anointed David as king. So Saul's like, you ain't coming from my throne, fam. I got to eliminate you from the picture. So therefore, Saul has literally sent out all of his army, chasing after David, trying to find him to get rid of him, to kill him, so that he won't become king. And as Saul is doing this, David is now on the run. And in Psalm 142, we found David went to a cave because that was the safest place for him. And we're still in this story in 2 Samuel, and now David has gone off into the wilderness. 
Because it is in the wilderness where he feels the most safe and where he feels, where he feels like no one can find him as he's hiding out in the wilderness. So as David is in the wilderness, right, he's lost, he's stranded, he's undoubtedly frustrated, right? He's physically in need, he's spiritually in need. What's interesting about this is that when David offers a prayer in his wilderness experience, the first thing he says is, God, you are my God. You are my God. And for many of us in here, we may not have been in a similar experience as David, but we have undoubtedly had our own wilderness experiences. Well, the situations and difficulties of life have left us feeling stranded, alone, have left us feeling lost in this life, similar to David. And David offers us, yet again, a template. When we find ourselves in a wilderness experience, alone, lost, and we have no idea how to get out, we're deeply confused. When we find ourselves in this situation, what are we supposed to say? What are we called to pray? First thing David says is, you, God, are my God. It's interesting that when we find ourselves in these difficult situations, sometimes we can forget to acknowledge God. When we find ourselves in these difficult predicaments, we're so caught up in trying to solve the situation that we forget to acknowledge the one who is the key and the ultimate source who's going to bring us out of the situation. And I have to say, given that David is in such physical need, right, it would not be shocking to me if he were to be like, Lord, I need you to take Samuel out. Lord, I need you to deliver from me in all of these physical ways. I need food. I need water. I need all of these physical things so that I can be taken out of the wilderness. But David spends most of this prayer, as we're going to see this morning, praying to God for his spiritual needs. David is saying that, Lord, what I need more than anything in the wilderness is to be connected to you, right? David is saying that, God, I cannot survive without your presence, without your power being present in my life. So, yes, I need physical things, and he, he gets to those needs at the end. He, he, David's real, but he spends most of his time saying, God, I need your, I need your presence. I need to feel connected. Why is this? Because David understands that when I am connected to God, when I feel the nearness of God, it brings clarity, it brings revelation, it brings peace, it brings joy, it brings guidance, it brings direction. So the key for me to get out of the wilderness is for me to be in tuned with my Heavenly Father, as much as I want to just yell at God, I need this, I need that, David says, I need all that for sure, but Lord, what I need most of all, I need you. I got to have you, God. I can't do this without you, God. So the prevailing theme of this song 
is that David is saying that without your presence, I cannot survive. Which is why at the beginning he says, God, you are my God. Even in the wilderness, in this dire situation, you are my God. I was reflecting on this this week. And I was honest with myself, and I think I'll be honest with everybody else in here too. When we find ourselves in a wilderness experience, our first response to that experience rarely is, God, you are my God. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's usually like, God, how could you let this happen? God, I don't deserve this. God, why me? I have done nothing to deserve what I'm going through, right? And as legitimate as those feelings are, I think sometimes those feelings and those kinds of questions can stem from a false conception of what the Christian faith actually is. Can I say more? See, I think, church, that we sometimes suffer for what I like to call an American dream theology. My God. Because, you know, many of us are from America, and we've all heard it before, the American dream. You pull yourself up, you work hard, you do everything you got to do, and if you work hard, if you work for everything you, everything you get, it will lead to success, you're going to have a family, you're going to have a house. And for some reason, they say you can have a white picket fence. Those things are ugly to me. I don't know why they want why they, a white picket fence. I don't want a white picket fence, right? <laughs> but the American dream is that if you work hard, this is the country where if you work hard enough, you can achieve whatever you want. My God. And see, sometimes we allow that American dream narrative to seep into our theology. If I pray hard enough, I won't suffer. If I read my Bible every day, ain't nothing bad going to happen to me. If I am the perfect Christian, I will have the perfect life. That's an Americanized Christianity, but it ain't Christianity. It ain't Christianity. And see, I've loved in the last year, church, talking to our folks here too, I loved how we have gone through many a sermon series, Philippians, Revelations, just to name a couple, where we've learned that the history of the church is largely a history of struggle, right? When we study Philippians, where did Paul write those letters from? A jail cell, right? And Paul says, I used to have status. I used to have privilege. I count it as rubbish. That's what he said. I don't count it as anything compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Right? And when we looked at Revelations, all those churches, because they were religious minorities in the Roman context, they were oppressed on every side, tempted on every side. And what was interesting about each and every one of those experiences is that as much as they cried out, to God, to deliver them, they used their faith as a resource rather than blaming their faith for what they were going through, right? They didn't blame God for what they were going through. They depended on God when they were going through, and that's what we're called to do. 
We live in a sinful and broken world where broken things happen to us. It's been happening to the church for generations after generations after generations. But we Americans, we Westerners, we believe that broken things shouldn't happen to us. Because if we do what we're supposed to do, life will work out the way it's supposed to work out for us. Nope. That's not Christianity. But the good news is this. The good news is when broken things happen to us, we serve a God that gives us peace, that gives us joy, that gives us clarity, that gives us wisdom on how to navigate those broken things and still be fully satisfied by his presence and by his power. That's the good news. That I am able to live in this life. I'm able to have joy, have peace, be fully fulfilled and satisfied because, God, you are my God. That's why David starts off this way. You are my God. And because you are my God, not only do I trust that I will make it out, but but even as I'm in the wilderness, I can be satisfied. Even as I'm in the wilderness. I can have peace. I can have joy because you're my God. Don't underestimate the power of the Spirit. Don't underestimate the power of our God. You're my God. So I encourage you, church, when you're in your wilderness experience. And if you haven't been one, trust me, baby, you will. A couple weeks ago, black church, the church brother would say, if you ain't been through nothing, baby, just keep on living. Just keep on living. When you're in your wilderness experience, cry out. Yes, cry out. But remember God. Even in that situation, God, you are my God. So the question becomes, how do we stay connected to God? You're telling me, Brother Jalen, that in order for us to get through our wilderness experience, we have to stay connected with God. How do we stay connected? You know, I have to say, I love David's response to this question because it wasn't what I was expecting. You know what David says? I'm going to verse 2. Verse 2. Oh, yeah, here it is. Here it is. David says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. You know what David's doing here? So David is praying a prayer as if he's in the sanctuary because he's entering a sanctuary from a dangerous world where people are seeking his life. So David, as he's in the wilderness, the only way he feels like he can be connected to God is by remembering the last time he felt God's presence. And the last time he felt God's presence was in the sanctuary. Because, see, it's in the sanctuary, David says, when I use my lips to sing your song, when I raise my hand during worship, when I'm listening and devoting myself to your scriptures, I felt connected to you. And as I am in the wilderness and I feel absent from your presence, I'm remembering the last time I felt your presence was in the sanctuary. The sanctuary 
is a second place. Our uh, director of connection and equipment this morning, Rachel Suarez, gave us a really good theology of worship this morning. Did y'all peep that? A real good theology of worship. And Rachel, if you don't mind, I'm going to take it a little bit further. Further, Rachel said that we don't want to mandate that we lift up our hands. We don't want to mandate that we move our bodies. Well, I think David is kind of saying, not kind of, David is saying that when we worship, we ain't supposed to be shy. When we worship, we're supposed to use every single aspect of our bodies to actively participate in our worship. Why is this? When we sing songs out loud with our voice, it's grounding our souls in such a way to where we remember the good things of God. When we lift up our hands to worship, right, we're directing all of our praise and attention to God, and we're focusing every ounce of attention that we have on to the Lord. So when we tell you to raise your hand and we tell you to sing out loud, we ain't trying to be a performative church. This ain't for a show. David is saying that his experience in the sanctuary anchors him when he's outside of the sanctuary. Right? When I feel God's presence in the sanctuary, I get clarity. I get peace, I get joy, I get fulfilled, I am encouraged. And that same thing that happens in the sanctuary can happen outside of it as well. It anchors his praise. It anchors his worship. So don't just lift your hands here. Don't just sing out loud here. Sing out loud at home. Sing out loud in your car. Lift your hands at work. Lift your hands wherever you are so that you're never absent from the presence of God. The older I get, the more I realize how much I need God in my daily life. Because, see, things happen in our daily lives that really just get you off. Like somebody said the wrong thing. Somebody look at you crazy. Somebody just start acting towards you in a, in a different way. And that will disrupt your whole mood. Now it's like, I'm, I'm just angry. I'm frustrated. I'm confused. Right? Am I the only one that happens to? Is, is, is it just me? Is it just me? Me too? Somebody said me too, too. Is it just me? Right? But see, here's the thing. Those can at times be a wilderness experience. Why is that? Because when we feel like the world and our own personal communal context is against us, it makes us feel alone. It makes us feel thoroughly confused and angry. And, and, and now I'm consumed with everything that just happened to me. And I've learned that in my daily experience, God can set me free. If I'm connecting myself and anchoring my soul to the presence of God, God can turn my anger into joy. He can turn my sorrow into hope. He can turn my confusion into clarity. So when these things happen in our daily lives, don't forget 
to acknowledge God. God is able. And, and sometimes we think, this is small. God ain't worried about that. No, he is. God is concerned with your soul. He concern, he's concerned with the whole of your person. God does not ever want you to feel shackled by anything. Anything. So I wanted to say that. Because, man, as you, live, as, you, as you live life day to day, whoo, these jokers, man. My God, save him, Jesus. Save him, Lord. Save him. Save him, because I can't do it. Save him, God. Save him. Right? But I also have to remember, Lord, save me too. Save me too. Don't let my resentment towards them block them off from the love that you can show them through me. Don't let my anger towards them block them off for from, from them experiencing your presence through me. Because as I experience your presence, they can too. And that can also change lives. So, sanctuary worship becomes of the utmost importance. Lifting our hands, singing with our tongues, with our lips. When we come into this place, church, we ought to expect to, to experience the presence of God. And it doesn't happen by osmosis, right? We have to actively participate in our own worship experience. Actively participate. Shout out to Rachel for giving us that, that good theology this morning. I took it a little bit further. You know, I'm a little bit more forceful. <laughs> Lift your hands up, church. Sing loud and proud. Brother Arthur, you show us how to do that every single week. Singing loud and proud, baby. We love that. Another thing that David says, and I love this, he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. I love this. So satisfaction for David is a full stomach. That's a man after my own heart right there. That joker said, you know, how, if, if I'm going to do a metaphor for satisfaction, I'm going to talk about food. Thanksgiving, baby. Fully satisfied for me is like being satisfied on Thanksgiving Day. But David says that the ultimate source of satisfaction is not simply the providing of my physical needs in this moment. The ultimate source of my satisfaction is, the, is, 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 is God anchoring my soul in such a way to where I feel connected to him. And, the, and, and, and he is the ultimate source and he is the ultimate ground of how I'm satisfied. A scripture love, people, people love the quote is, God shall supply all your needs. People love that. People love the quote, right? Well, what people don't understand about this scripture is that sometimes you and God don't agree on what your needs are. We'll quote that scripture, God will go provide my need. And it's like, he might provide your need in this situation, and he might not. But what he will do is this. He will always make sure that the needs that he has justified in your life will be met. See, that scripture is conditional in such a way to where God will provide your needs on his terms. On his terms. Right? And sometimes, man, me and God be disagreeing on my needs. It's like, God, that, that ain't a need? You sure? Nah, fam, it ain't. You don't really need that that much. Right? And that, again, this is where connection is important. If God and I are connected, 
I may disagree with him at first about that being a need. But as he reveals and as he clarifies and as he gives me wisdom, it's like, oh, yeah, God, you right. I don't really need that. That's true. That's not a real need. Right? To be satisfied. Verse 6, this is one of my favorite ones too. David says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, because you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. I love verse 6. I love verse 6 because David is such a relatable character and person in the biblical, in the biblical scriptures. David's like, so when we stressed out, what's the, what, what, can't, what, what do we struggle to do when we stress? Sleep. We can't sleep. We go to bed. Oh, my gosh. We're thinking about every scenario, every hypothetical. Like, Lord, if this happened, if that happened, what if this happened, what if that happened? And David is like, in order for me to relieve my stress right now, what must I do? Remember God. Another word for this, remember, is to be mindful of God. What does this mean? It means that remember all of the multiple ways in which God has provided for you in the past. Remember all the multiple ways in which God has shown up for you in the past. That same God is still your God. That God hasn't changed. He's still your God. And see, when I remember him when I'm struggling to sleep, it's as if I'm giving it over to my God. David says, remembering God, having a God memory relieves stress at bedtime. <laughs> having that God memory. You know, this, 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 this reminded me because I'm this kind of person. I don't know if y'all are. I'm this kind of person where when I go to bed and I'm stressed out, I mean, I'm coming up with every single scenario and hypothetical possible in the world. Like, Lord, if that happened, I got to be ready for that. And if this happened, I got to be ready for that. And he, I'm just coming up with everything. I'm stressing about every angle of the situation that I'm going through. And you know what God said to me this week? He said, Jalen, in every scenario you've come up with, in A, B, C, D, throughout all the way to Z, in every scenario, guess what? I'm still your God. I'm God in every single scenario that could ever happen. Which means that whatever situation you might go through, that situation pales in comparison to me. I'm a God in every single situation. We had a song in the black church that we used to sing. Church mother would say, why are you trying to figure it out? He already worked it out. Why are you trying to figure it all out? God's already worked it out. Then, he would, then, then they would say, when I gave it over to the Lord, he worked it out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Give it over to him. When I gave it over to the Lord, he Work it out. Why are you trying to figure it out? God has already come up with a plan of your escape. He's already come up with a plan of how to sustain you and keep you through your wilderness experience. Let God be God. Stop trying to play God because, bro, we ain't good at it. We suck at it. We ain't no good. So let us, let us be the one to say, Lord, I'm going to let you be God in this situation and in this experience. 
I remember you upon my bed. Verse 7 and 8, we almost at the finish line. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. You have been my help. So it's saying that the presence of God can almost operate as this big old bird protecting their children. When the storms of life are raging, they cover their children up with that big old feather, keeping them safe from the storm. And he's saying, in the presence of God, I'm protected on every side from all the situations in my life. I love this next part. He says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul clings to you. This, this is almost a statement of hope. Because you are my God, I will cling to you. Because you are my God, I will hope in you. This reminds me of a story. My dad will often tell a story. My dad's a pastor and a preacher. Years ago, he told a story. He said, uh, after I got through preaching one Sunday, I went down, said hello to the people and all that, all that kind of stuff. And a church mother came up to me and she said, you know, Pastor, thank you so much for your word today. You really hoped me today. And my dad was like, oh, thank you, Mother. I appreciate you. I'm glad that I was able to help you today. I said, oh, yeah, Pastor, you hoped me today. Yeah, 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 the word of God can help you in, 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 in the nick of time. And she was like, you know, Pastor, I'm 85 years old, but I ain't the one that's hard at hearing. I didn't say help. You hope me today. And he said, Mother, what do you mean? He said, you know, Pastor, I came in this place heavy today with a heavy, heavy heart. But as I was sitting over there in my normal seat, listening to the choir sing, listening to the scripture be read, listening to you preach, the Lord met me. I felt the presence of God. And as I was feeling his presence, I felt full, I felt satisfied, I felt peace, and I felt a little joy. I haven't felt that in weeks, Pastor. And it gave me reason to hope because it reminded me that the same joy I felt in the sanctuary today, I can feel it out there in the world too. So thank you, Pastor, because you hope me today. You allowed me to have hope once more. I don't know what I'm talking to right here, but my prayer for you and I this morning, church, is that at the end of every single day, when you've been connected to God, you can be like church mother and say, God, thank you for hoping me today. Because today was a rough day. Today, in this, this season, it's been a rough season. But in the midst of it all, God, you've been a source of hope. You've been a source of peace. And as I stay connected to you, God, I know that I can continue to make it continue to go on. You hope me today. Don't lose hope. Hope is such a fragile yet extraordinarily treacherous gift. When the, the moment we lose hope, it's the moment when we're ready to give up. And there are times in life when we, we, we might just be ready to give up. But that is why we come to the sanctuary. We come to the sanctuary to meet God. And see, what I've learned too, church, is that there are times when even if God does not change my situation quickly, God can change me. And see, if I'm transformed and if I'm changed, my outlook, my framework, and perspective has changed. Now I'm facing this situation that I'm going through in a new light, right? All because 
God transformed my soul and he transformed my mind to sustain me, to keep me as I go through my wilderness experience. He helped me today. We come to the end here. So now David gets, he, he, gets, he, gets, he gets real specific with his physical needs now. Y'all ready for this? He says, those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. My God. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt him. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Woo. See, David's real, man. He real. David real, Doc. Right? David's like, Lord, hey, look. Look. As much as I need your presence in my daily life, I need you to take care of these jokers. They need to be handled. Right? Because I can't. David, this is such a cry from David. David is saying, Lord, I can't keep running from these folks. I was in a cave. Now I'm in the wilderness. Lord, when is it going to stop? But, 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 but I love David because he's exacerbated. He's exhausted. But he turns his cry into a prayer of expectation. Watch what he says. He says, those who, street, who go, those who seek to destroy my life shall go down in it. So he's not saying, God, I want you, God, please destroy them. God, send them to the... No, he's saying, God, you will destroy them. God, you will send them down into the depths, right? Because David is saying this. David is saying that, God, since you have anointed me as king, I believe that you are a God of your word, right? And since you are a God of your word... The folks who are trying to kill me will be handled by you because you don't break your promises. Woo! You don't break your promise. See, we can pray in expectation when we connect our prayers to the promises of God. See, God, since you promised to take care of me, I can project onto my future in faith what you have already ordained and said. And that's what, that's, that's what David is doing here. God, these jokers can't kill me. They are no match for me. Why? Because they're no match for you. They're no match for you. So he's speaking in confidence, not because he's this big, bold soldier. He's speaking in confidence because he has a God who is able to fight his battles and deliver him even in the midst of his wilderness experience. As I come to a close, church, and as the worship team, as, as, as the worship team comes back up, church, I want you to remember, and as we wrap up this series on the Psalms, as we wrap up the series in the Psalms, what we have learned week after week is we can be vulnerable, emotional. And, and, and completely torn down in prayer, right? The Psalms have taught us how to lament well. They've taught us how to pray in the midst of well. But I love this psalm ending on this note, is that don't forget that we're also called to have faith. Have faith in the one who has made promises to us 
who has promised to take care of us, right? And there are times in our prayer lives where we are called to pray in expectation, right? Where we're called to pray in such a way and allow our faith to ground our hopes in the one who has already secured our future. So as we end today, let us not forget that while we may not be called to a perfect life, we are called to live our lives by the power of the Spirit in the midst of it all. Let's pray.